Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Well, choosing a new pastor has to do with kind of knowing God's will, doesn't it? And uh, we won't talk about that for a few Sundays here. Um, Anthony Oliveri was riding his Harley-Davidson motorcycle down a busy street in Indiana when he was struck by another vehicle, a car. And afterwards he said, I didn't quite know what was going on there for a split second. I looked over my left shoulder and all I could see was her tire and the left bumper getting ready to run me over. Now, what's interesting about this story is that both drivers attributed the crash to God's will. The driver of the automobile didn't stop, but police located her a few miles from the accident. And when she was asked to explain her actions, she had a very interesting response. She said, God told me to let him take the wheel. Boy, how's that for an innovative excuse? <laughs> police summarized her statement this way. This came, this came from the police report. She was driving, and out of nowhere, God told her that he would take it from here, and she let go of the wheel and let him take it. Okay. Now, by contrast, Oliveri said, I was inches from that bumper, and I just said to myself, today is the day I die. I just shut my eyes and said, if this is the way God wants me to do it, then I guess that this is the way it's going to happen. Later on, though, he attributed his survival to God's will, too. So both people had some interesting beliefs and takes about what we're going to be talking about, which is knowing God's will, okay? God's will has fascinated and intrigued and troubled and frustrated followers of Jesus all at the same time. And today I'd like to start a series of messages on knowing God's and his will for our lives. I've, I've, I've entitled this message series, Knowing God's Will. Is it like using a GPS or a compass? <laughs> um. You know, I, I would admit, folks, that I would love to have a global positioning system or a GPS when it comes to life and living. I mean, wouldn't that be great? In one mile, turn right. Turn now. Turn left in two miles. And, and then if you made a mistake, you could, you could hear God say, recalculating. No, no, because sometimes I like to frustrate the GPS. You kind of go around in circles and recalculate, recalculate. Whatever. We, we like it when the direction that we should go in life is clear and concise and without any confusion whatsoever. And we would prefer if, if God would give us a precise step-by-step -step roadmap for today and tomorrow. Wouldn't that be great? Um, but God's will, at least in my experience, folks, it's more like using a compass than a GPS. God kind of points us in one direction. Don't expect him to dictate every turn, 
every route, every road along life's journey. So can we know anything about God's will? Sure, sure we can. Does God want us to know his will? Yes, he, he certainly does. Consider, for example, our primary text for today, which is found in the book of Ephesians. I'd like you to turn there with me right now. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm just going to read three verses there, 15, 16, 17. But they have a lot to say about God's will, which is our subject, okay? Ephesians chapter 5. Find it in your Bible. Put your eyeballs on it if you can. And follow along as I begin reading. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Aren't those great verses? Let me read them again. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, there's some important assumptions in those verses that I just read. We can know God's will, right? We can know God's will. We can understand God's will. But knowing his will is never something kind of automatic either. There are things we can and must do in order to make knowing God's will easier and clearer for ourselves, okay? So we're going to think about God and his will over seven messages. But we're definitely not going to have it all figured out by then. I won't give you a piece of paper saying that you've graduated from knowing God's will, okay? Leave room for some mystery, okay? You see, God's will is a little bit like a puzzle that we never really complete this side of heaven. I like what missionary and author, the late Elizabeth Elliot, wrote. She said, today is mine. Tomorrow is none of my business. If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see clearly what is required of me now. That's a good word. We still have to live by faith in this life. We're still called to believe in a good and a gracious God who's working out his plan and purpose for this world and for you and me personally. So let's begin this series today by asking and trying to answer two questions, and here's the first one. What is God's will? What is God's will? It's important to know that, first of all, God's will is providential. Providential. What does that mean? What, what is providence? What does God have to do with the capital of Rhode Island? or a college that's had some successful basketball teams over the years. Providence means that, that God has a plan that controls everything that happens in the universe. 
And for the most part, this, this plan is in all of its fullness and detail is incomprehensible to our limited minds. I mean, we simply can't grasp all of it, folks. Nevertheless, we can know important parts of God's master plan. For example, the Bible tells us that God decided before he even created the world that he was going to send his son Jesus into this world. His plan also required Jesus to die and be raised again from the dead, thus paying the penalty for humanity's sins. We just celebrated that last week. That plan ensured that if, if you surrender spiritually to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you're going to receive the gift of eternal life. And that plan also promises that Jesus will return one day from heaven in great power and great glory, all part of God's master plan. So here's a few dimensions to, of God's providential will that, that it's good to remember. First of all, it's absolute. In other words, it's an expression of the one who's the supreme ruler of the universe and who controls all things at all times. Secondly, it's unchangeable. In other words, this, this will of God is going to be uh, accomplished with or without your cooperation or mine, okay? And then it's unconditional. That, that means that God thought up this master plan long ago and nothing is ever going to alter it. And also it's good to, to know that God's will is good and just and loving just like God himself. You know, at times, it may look unfair, it may look irrational or contradictory to us, but that's only because our limited minds are trying to understand someone who has an unlimited mind, the God of the universe. And he can only ever be good and just and loving, just like his will. It's impossible for God to be or to act otherwise. Dawson Trotman was a great man of God who founded the, the Navigators last century, a fine Christian ministry that still exists today. He was at a retreat at Shroon Lake in New York State, and two girls were thrown out of a speedboat during his time there, and Trotman jumped in to save them from drowning, and in the process, Dawson Trotman himself drowned. And a friend who was with him at the time ran down the shoreline of the lake and found Trotman's wife, Lila. Lila Dawson's gone, he yelled. He's gone. And it's, it's reported that Lila Trotman calmly quoted Psalm 115, verse 3 at that very moment. Our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. Wow, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. At that very moment, Lila Trotman took comfort by reminding herself that God's will is providential. And what's interesting is that what seemed uh, to many as the premature, untimely death of a gifted leader was later seen as God's perfect plan for the fine ministry that he founded and launched, the Navigators. Hmm. So God's will is providential. Secondly, it's also permissive. Permissive. 
It's wise to remember that, that God has a perfect will and he has a permissive will. You see, God doesn't ever cause sin, but he allows it, doesn't he? God doesn't ever cause evil, but he permits it. God doesn't ever cause suffering, but he doesn't always prevent it. And folks, if there is any aspect of God's will that falls into the mystery arena, this is it, okay? I mean, how could God allow six million Jews to be murdered by the Nazis? Where was God when terrorists crashed hijacked planes into buildings on 9-11, causing death, the death of thousands of people? I mean, why does God allow the suffering to continue in Ukraine, which we see on the news every day right now? On a smaller scale, why does God allow a child to get cancer? Why, why do some people suffer terrible abuses of one kind or another? Why do people that we die, that, that we love, die and, and, and leave us well before their time? Why does that happen? And, you know, here's the thing, folks. I, I can't adequately answer those questions. I don't know anybody who can. Okay? How evil and suffering fit into God's will remains a great, great mystery. And all we can conclude is the fact that God's will often permits evil and suffering while never diminishing, reducing God's goodness or changing his long-term master plan. I don't know how God does it, but he does. God's will is providential. God's will is permissive. It's also preceptive. Not perceptive, but preceptive, okay? In other words, it involves precepts or principles, commands, directives. Now, folks, absolutely, there is a whole lot about God's will that we don't know, even about our own lives. But there's a lot that we can know precisely because it's made very clear to us in the Bible in the form of precepts, right? And sometimes these precepts are general principles that give us specific direction. For instance, for instance, I'll just throw out some, or I'll throw out a couple of examples. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that sex is reserved for a marriage relationship between one man and one woman. And your specific situation in life doesn't alter or change God's precept. God is never going to come to you or to me and say, well, I know what my word says, but my precept about sex doesn't really apply to you. You're an exception. And besides, I know that the culture that you live in now decided that my views on sex are no longer relevant, so go ahead and have sex before marriage, outside of marriage, with whomever you select. God will never say that to you. By the same token, the Bible also makes it very clear that every follower of Jesus has the joyful privilege of sharing the good news about Jesus with people around us. And so here's something else God will never say to you or me. Look, I want other Christians to be a witness for Jesus, but not you. <laughs> not you, uh-uh. Nope, that, that, that precept doesn't apply to you. 
So don't bother ever praying for a lost person regularly. Never, never utter one word about Jesus to anyone else ever. That precept doesn't apply to you. God will never say that to you. You see, there are some matters that you never have to ask God about because he's already revealed his will about them in his word. Now, true enough, God's precepts don't, they don't cover every situation or circumstance in life, but you know, they cover a whole lot. I mean, here's just a few examples of God's precepts. And if you've been around church since you were a kid, you've, you've heard all of these one way or the other, like what? Obey your parents. Marry only a Christian. Work at the occupation of your choice diligently. Support your family. Tithe your income to the Lord. Give to the poor. Never mistreat refugees or immigrants. Raise your kids to know God's standards. Study the Bible. Pray. Worship regularly and faithfully with other people who love God. Look for opportunities to tell others about Jesus and what he's done for you. Figure out your spiritual gifts and put them to use. Be thankful. Be joyful. Don't allow resentment to take root in your heart. Don't be prejudiced against other people. Love your enemies. All, all precepts. And there's Bible verses for all of those precepts. They're God's will for every child of God. They're God's will for you no matter who you are, where you live, what you're going through. There's nothing mysterious about them. You, you get acquainted with them when you read and study God's Word. And the more you know the Bible, the less confusing it is to know God's will. Those who struggle least with God's will are those who know God's Word best and most. Well, that's something to take home today. Those who struggle least with God's will are those who know God's word most and best. You really want to know God's will for your life? You show me how much of the Bible you take in on a regular basis, how much you meditate on it regularly. That'll, that'll tell the story pretty clearly. <clears throat> so God's will is providential, it's permissive, it's preceptive, it's also personal. It's personal. It's good and right to seek God's will when you select a spouse, when you choose a career, when you buy a home, when you pick a church, many other major life decisions. And, and you know, it's interesting because Bible teachers differ on how detailed God's will might be for your life and mine. Uh, most suggest that, that God doesn't have an explicit will concerning everything you do like, I don't know whether God had to decide for you what you had for breakfast this morning. I mean, come on. Or, or what outfit you chose to wear today. Uh, others divide over how explicit God's will might be in, in really important matters, like choosing a spouse or a career. But, but all agree that God's will is definitely personal. And, and the Bible tells us that God puts you together in your mother's womb, and he endowed you with all the spiritual, emotional, and physical qualities that, that you possess today. In fact, if you're a child of God today, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's because God chose you to belong to him long before he created the world. Look it up in, chapter, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. M many, of the, many of the Bible characters we read about were given a, a highly personal task of ministry. It was God's will for them. 
And some accepted God's personal will for them gladly, then they prospered as a result. Uh, David becoming king of Israel comes to mind. It was definitely God's personal will for David. And then, and then there are stories about how others resisted God's personal will for them and brought a lot of misery upon themselves and others as a result. You remember, you remember the prophet Jonah? <laughs> and, and his reluctance to be a missionary to the lost people of Nineveh was God's will, and Jonah was like, I don't want that. Hmm. Our text in Ephesians 5 today points to God's will in a personal sense. Paul, who wrote that, those verses that we read, he wasn't referring to God's providential or permissive will there. He wasn't even talking about God's preceptive will. Instead, he was encouraging you and me to understand and discover God's personal will for our lives and then to live it out. Some years ago, a journalist wrote an article about the Florida citrus industry, and uh, he walked into a plant, and he saw a man sorting oranges. And as the oranges came rolling down a conveyor belt, the, the worker sorted them according to size. I mean, large oranges went through these large holes, and small oranges went through the small holes, and bruised oranges went into a third set of holes. And the reporter watched this guy perform this job and concluded that it was about the most incredibly boring job that he had ever seen. And finally, he asked him, he said, how can you stand putting these, or these oranges into these holes all day long, day after day after day? And it was interesting because the man himself kind of had a different take on it. He said, he, said, he, he, he shook his head and he said, you, you don't really know the half of it. From the time I come into work until the time I go home, it's decisions, decisions, decisions. And we have seemingly unlimited choices for our occupation, where we live, whom we marry, the type of church we're going to attend. How on earth do we discern God's will in and for all those decisions? It can be bewildering, to be sure. So here's a second important question that I want to ask and try to answer with you today. How can I know God's will? How can I know God's will? Well, sometimes, you know, it's easier to understand what something is by understanding what it is not. Uh, first, then, knowing God's will is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Yes, discerning God's uh, will can indeed be a mystery, but it's a mistake to depend on impressions, emotions, sensations to tell you God's will. If you do that, you're only going to invite trouble. Understanding God's will is not about, you know, finding a happy feeling or waiting for a quiver in your liver. It doesn't work that way. Frankly, I, I get a little nervous around people who, who say a whole lot, God told me to do this. Or the Holy Spirit has directed me to do that. I mean, it's just where every other word is sort of, really? Um, the problem with feelings is their reliability. Because there's so many different sources for our emotions as there are our emotions themselves. Uh, illness affects your emotions. How, how much sleep you get 
medications, your past experiences in life, what you eat and drink the night before. And more dangerous than any of those is our own sinful nature, folks. I mean, it can affect our emotions profoundly. That's why the Bible says the human heart is the most, what? Deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So God's will is not a feeling. And and you will make some serious mistakes in determining his will for your life if you rely solely on your feelings, your emotions to tell you what God's will is. But secondly, knowing God's will is not a formula either. It's not a formula. You see, here's what can happen. You say, well, I'm not going to trust my feelings, so I'm going to develop a kind of a checklist approach to discerning God's will. See what the Bible says? Check. Get godly counsel? Check. Consider your circumstances? Check. Take into account your own desires? Check. Pray about it? Check. There's nothing wrong with with anything on that checklist. In fact, those are helpful. They're worthwhile things to consider when you're seeking God's will for a decision you need to make. The problem, though, is assuming that once you've checked everything off your list, you know, presto, uh, you, you now know God's will with absolute clarity. Oh, that life and living were that simple. Oh, that knowing God's will for every situation can be reduced to checking off the boxes on some list. The fact is that determining God's will can't be reduced to a kind of a mechanical formula. Why not? Well, because a formula approach to discerning God's will ends up being inadequate. It just is. I mean, what if something on your checklist contradicts something else? I mean, what do you do if you have three criteria on your checklist to say to do this and the other two say to do that? Do you only move forward if all five criteria agree? You know, the, the, the Bible is going to tell us to, to marry only one Christian, yeah, but it will not tell you specifically if that woman is Mary or Alice or that man is Wayne or Ted. And, you know, that's, that's good to remember in terms of the pastoral search process we're on. Does God want a pastor for this church to succeed me? Sure. He's not going to appear in a cloud and say, this one right here. I mean, we'd love that, right? Don't work that way, okay? And, and then a, a formula approach leaves no room for God to overrule your mistakes. Now, walk with me through this idea. It assumes that if you misread the checks or the formula, then you missed out on God's will for your life. Or, or, you, or, or then you've got to somehow settle for God's second, third, or tenth best will. Now, folks, if that's the way it works, every last one of us has missed forever the opportunity to know and do God's will. Why do I say that? Because each and every one of us has sinned. We've made poor decisions. We've lacked good judgment. We've made bad choices. But here's what, here's what I do know from, about God's will, from God's word. There's nothing in it about God's second or third or tenth best will. But there is a whole lot in there about second, third, and multiple chances to get it right, to discover and move into and do God's will. So so don't reduce God's will 
to a formula? Well, here's some ways to think about this question, maybe from a more positive angle. Third, knowing God's will is discovered through a friendship with God himself. Um, Knowing God's will is never about adhering to a bunch of rules, but instead entering into a relationship. Knowing God's will isn't discovered by mastering an agenda or working a formula, but maintaining a certain heart attitude toward God at all times. Knowing God's will isn't following a step-by-step GPS-like route plan, but constantly checking an inner spiritual compass. See, God's will can't be reduced to a technique. It can only be discovered in the process of getting to know God personally and becoming his friend. So it's best to always focus on God and not on his guidance. When you you focus on knowing God, the guidance will eventually come as a byproduct of the relationship, of the friendship. And the more that you get to know God, the more you will learn how to make decisions based on what you know would please him in any given situation. Now, when you discover and you maintain a healthy relationship with God, you're enabled to avoid some common attitudes that can really become a block in discovering God's will for your life and mine. Like what? Well, like fatalism. Fatalism. You know, ah, whatever happens is God's will. Whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. That's not, that's not an attitude that we need to have about God's will. Like what else? Like fear. For example, we, we can fear change. Uh, here's what I know about that. I can guarantee that God will still allow change to come into your life and my life. Or we can fear commitment. I mean, what, what's God going to want to do to me if I really give 100% of myself to him? Or, 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 or we can fear criticism of other people. Will so-and-so think I'm a fanatic if I bring up Jesus in this conversation? Huh, Fear. Frustration is yet another attitude that can block discovering God's will. Every child of God gets frustrated with God eventually. I am happy to admit to you this morning that I have been frustrated with God on more than one occasion. How many of you are also willing to admit that? Sure. Because God doesn't always do things the way we want him to do it. And so I, I get, I've gotten frustrated with God. Just don't allow yourself to get stuck in frustration that lasts for months and years. That's that's a dangerous place to stay for a long time. The Bible does say, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, be very careful. It does not say there that everything that happens to you is good. It's not what the verse says. It says that God causes everything to work together for our ultimate benefit. And and when you've developed a friendship with God, a relationship with him, you believe that and you hold on to it, come what may. And probably all of us here have had to hold on to that scripture, come what may. Fourth, knowing God's will demands faith. We can't forget that. Here's what the Bible says. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. 
He does what? He rewards those who sincerely seek him. Faith pleases God. He wants you and me to live by faith. And if everything was always just kind of spelled out for us like a step-by-step GPS route plan, why would you and I ever need to have faith? So here, here's, a, here's a few conclusions for both discovering and then following God's will. Each one is based on faith, each of these conclusions. First, folks, you've got to be a Christian to know God's will, okay? Now, maybe that's kind of obvious, but I think it needs to be stated. When, when, when you commit your life to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord by faith, the Holy Spirit begins to reside in you spiritually. And among other benefits is he begins to reveal God's will to you. And, and if you really want to know God and his will, this, this is the first and the most important step, and it requires faith to take it. It's the only way that you ever become a follower of Jesus. You do it by faith. Here's another conclusion. You must be wise. You must be wise. Our, our text today reminded us of, that, of the importance of wisdom, didn't it? So be careful how you live. Don't, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So, Wisdom in, involves taking stock of how you live every day. Wisdom means making the most of the time God's given to you. Wisdom entails making the most of every opportunity that comes your way and, and using it somehow to bring glory to God. And, and wisdom means putting good old-fashioned common sense alongside faith and walking together hand in hand. So you must be a Christian. You must be wise. Here's another conclusion you must want to do God's will. You must want to do God's will. And believe me, folks, God will test you and me right there. Really? Yeah. The fact is that there's been times in my life when I really did not want to do God's will. God's will can be hard to do sometimes. It, it humbles my pride. It requires me to change. It makes me face my sin. It goes against my selfish desires. It makes me confront stuff in me that I'd rather excuse and overlook. And, and really wanting to do God's will is a heart thing. It, it's all about wanting to please God above anything and everything else above pleasing myself and other people or staying comfortable and playing it safe. And, folks, that requires faith, faith. And God loves and honors faith. Here's a, here's a final conclusion about discovering and doing God's will. You must be willing to pray and wait. You must be willing to pray and wait. God's will is not something that's, that's easily or quickly discerned. At times, it seems that God just, he just loves to make us wait. Instead, folks, it, what he's really trying to do is he's trying to get our faith to grow. And praying and waiting is one of his favorite ways of developing godly patience or faith in each of us. You know, whenever I have attended um, 
a circus or watched one on TV. I'm, I'm just constantly fascinated and entertained by what those trapeze artists do. They're pretty amazing, aren't they? And, uh, you know, there, I don't know how many different roles everybody has, but there's at least two roles on any trapeze team. Um, you have the flyers and the catchers, okay? And the flyers are the folk there, you know, on, on the right that are going up off the bar and they're doing flips and whatever else in the air. And the, the, the catcher's the one that grabs them at some point and hauls them in and takes them to the other side of the trapeze, right? Um, if you're ever tempted to become a trapeze artist, here's, here's, a, here, here's a bit of wisdom for you. Don't ever try to catch the catcher. That's something you probably should write down, just in case you go into trapeze sometime. Big mistake. If you're a flyer, you don't try to catch the catcher. You just concentrate on doing your flips and your turns and everything else that you do. And you let the catcher do his or her job and use those strong hands to pick you out of the air and take you back to the other side of the trapeze. When it comes to life and living, when it comes to knowing and doing God's will, who's the flyer? You and me. You and me. And who's the catcher? And God alone. And folks, just like the trapeze are, they've got to, man, talk about faith. Whew. They got to, they got to trust that catcher to catch them. Take them out, pick them out of the air and take them back safely. And, and, and you and I, we, we have to trust God, don't we? And have faith to believe that as we walk through life, God's strong hands are always going to be there to catch us and to return us to where we need to be. That's why the Bible says, what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his what? Will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that... You are a person, and as a person, you have a will. You have a plan. In fact, it's, it's such a fantastic, comprehensive plan that, that we can't even really take it in completely. And we know that you've given us a lot of information that we can apply to our lives personally, but there's other stuff, Lord, that, wow, we would, we'd like more information on or about, but, Lord, you've, you've kind of you've, you've given us a compass, you don't, you don't provide a GPS for us as we walk through life. And so, Lord, we, we, we want to thank you that you are, you are the great catcher and that as we live our lives and we kind of throw ourselves out there and we let go of the bar, 
that we can indeed trust you and have faith in you to catch us and take us to a safe place. So thank you, Lord, that that knowing your will really emerges out of a relationship with you, a relationship with you that begins and ends with faith and trust. And that's what we want to do each and every day. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.